Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the EG Property Podcast with me, EG Editor Sam McClary. Today's episode is the latest in our series looking at diversity, inclusion and talent. Joining me for her second appearance is the wonderful Jane Hollinshead of IJD Consulting. Jane was on the podcast, you will remember of course, towards the end of 2020, taking part in a discussion about pivoting. It was riveting uh, and if you did miss it do go back and listen I'll make sure to put a link in the show notes this time however we're talking about social mobility and the poverty and education gap that will know that is scarring future talent over the next 30 minutes or so we'll examine how socioeconomic balance is the lost golden thread of inclusion and diversity how we need to tackle it head-on so it gets woven into every aspect of the industry's EDI strategies and how to turn that thread into a robust golden rope. So you know what to do, grab a cuppa, lace up your trainers or pull on your wellies in this weather or do whatever you need to do to prepare yourself for your latest hour treat from EG and enjoy. So guess who is back for the EG Property Podcast to talk all things talent and diversity and inclusion. It's my very favourite actually because last time uh, I had this person on the podcast it felt like a mentoring session for me so that was <laughs> wonderful. Uh, <laughs> please welcome back to the podcast Jane Hollinshead. Hi Jane how are you doing? I'm good thank you. How are you? I'm very, very nice well. to be back. It's very nice to have you back and um Today we're going to talk social mobility. You wrote a piece for us um, not too long ago where you you raised this um, as your sort of um, current uh, thinking or, or sort of, I was going to say bugbear, but that's not the right word, but something that you just can't get out your head at the moment. And the the one of the, I think you called it the lost golden thread of um, diversity and inclusion um, and something that we really need to make sure is embedded into every DNI plan that now so many um, of our companies within this industry have, which is great. Um, so, yeah, let's let's take a half hour or so to talk about what we can do around social mobility and how very very important it is to to focus on on it, particularly post COVID. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I think. Um... What really triggered my um, sort of renewal of interest in this is, is actually so much research that we're seeing around how we're, we're, we are creating a greater disparity between the haves and the haves nots, even if that is subconsciously. Um, you know, there's, there's a massive issue around digital poverty. And once that digital poverty gap becomes embedded, it's really, really hard to close it. So, you know, what do we do as an industry to make sure that we play our part in, in making sure that doesn't happen? Um, this issue around financial hardship that that COVID has created. And then, you know, there's issues around health as well. You know, the, there's, there's a sort of perfect storm gathering in terms of um, creating a bigger, bigger gap um, and the impact that that has on, on future talent. And you're right. Um, you know, when you think about all the good work that, that we've done, either individually as corporates or collectively as an industry, 
we've done you know some really good stuff around gender you know as we said before there's still an awful lot of work to do around race and actually some of the the stats and the headlines that have come out over the last week is you know just indicative that the the you know closing the gap on that is not going at the, the pace it should be and that's an important point for social mobility um but it, it's social mobility just hangs in the ether and it, it it doesn't really land as being as a characteristic that corporates or the industry is really focusing on as weaving it you know this thread being woven into every aspect of, of dni um and now it's becoming more and more important for, for, for all the reasons that, that i've i've spoken about um and i think you know being honest I think talking about social class is quite awkward. I don't think it's something that as an industry we, we've we've quite got comfortable with. Um, and I think on top of that, these issues around it's, it's not a protected class within you know, the, the legislative environment that makes it something where people can't, they can't put it in a box, so they, they can't characterise it. And so they just kind of, you know, put it in the too difficult pile. And, and that's the problem I think right now. So, yeah, it's particularly difficult to talk about, isn't it? If you are um, uh, to to use one of your phrases, a Hugo or Rupert, um, isn't it? Because or if you if you don't come from a background that can um, sympathize, empathize with what it's like to grow up without, I think it I think it's probably feels quite difficult to be able to to have that conversation because you think um one thinks sorry that um well maybe I'm going to be judged as you know a, a Hugo or a Rupert and that they won't see beyond beyond that I, I I agree although is that any different to someone in that position trying to empathize or understand what it's like to be <clears throat> Um, a woman coming through the industry or someone from an ethnic minority background coming through into the industry, you know, all, all of this requires the ability to recognise, have a, a heightened sense of awareness about how others' <clears throat> lives are lived. You know, it's, it's to do with that that um, awareness and the unconscious bias that, that, you know, that we talk about all the time. Um, and that does require quite a lot of effort. And it also requires quite a lot of discomfort in the way that, you know, issues around race involve quite a lot of discomfort from those people. That, let's not characterise them, you can Rupert's, otherwise we're going to get into a ton of trouble. <laughs> but, yeah, but as a shorthand, it's, yeah, it's, it's a real challenge. But the challenge is actually making sure that there's... Um, the debate being had and the ability to stand back and recognise that you only create a better industry and a better environment for people to thrive if, if you can think more holistically about how does it feel to be in my shoes. And so, so we should really be in a better place to do that because we as an industry have <coughs> done much better around particularly around gender um, and people have thought you know sort of turned the mirror on themselves and thought about um you know what it what it's like and what needs to to happen um to enable um, more women to to come through the industry to to move up into into leadership positions yeah. so the the sort of the the method is there isn't it i suppose but now it's about 
identifying where to go, how to implement that method? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because if you, if you think about what we've done so far as an industry when it comes to gender, we've, we've flexed our systems to a degree and we've had the additional benefits of um, not fully foul of, of legislation. And we've had for certain companies that operate within the sector, we've had guidance with things like um, Hampton Alexandra. So you know that there is a sort of definitional benchmark that you have to fall within. <clears throat> with socioeconomic imbalance, you don't have any of those um, handrails to keep you within uh, what we would consider to be progress. Uh, and actually, the, it's it's more confusing and more difficult to manage because the, the the way that our systems and our processes and the informality of real estate is structured means that we are excluding the very people that need to be included. So, so the, the point that I was making in the article about things like not judging people on their educational attainment, but on their potential um, is a really, really critical point when it comes to the socioeconomic issue. And, and with gender, we, pro we, we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have shifted that dial because we still would have measured the woman coming into the organisation by reference to probably which university they went to, where they'd been to in terms of their work experience so far. Whereas the socioeconomic imbalance, you, you're, you're actually creating new rules and it's very deep seated. There's, there's a really fantastic um, bit of research by Corn Ferry, which is, um, I think it's called something like Asleep at the Wheel. And it's, it's a really good read for anyone that's trying to look at how, how this, um, th th this issue around um, how organisations actually structurally exclude those that most need to be included. And it's all to do with the way in which we recruit, the way in which we promote, um, the way in which our culture um, sets out its stall and how you need to completely start from the bottom up and think everything about the language that you use, how accessible you are as an organisation, what your culture stands for. Are you really using um, educational attainment as a barrier to exclude others? Um, and I think that's where you start with the socioeconomic issues. It's probably internal. You know, it's, it's probably the role, like all of these things, it's the role of the board and it's the role of the HR function combined to, to start rebuilding the structure. I mean, there's a lot to unpack <laughs> there, isn't there? And yeah. I guess let, let's start with the the, lang the language because I think that is that is a a barrier for so so many um, things, particularly in enabling us to be a more inclusive sector. Mm -hmm. Not not just real estate. I think any any mm -hmm. industry and the way that we describe what we do. Um, the the you know really formal language I suppose that is used in in job job adverts and and those sort of things uh, but that's it's really difficult I mean it sounds simple doesn't it to say well you know speak like you would if you were remember those days when we could go to the pub <coughs> and talk to our, our mates but 
if you were if you were talking about a role then you'd use a very different language than you would to um create a job job advert so we know the language is there that would probably make it sound more accessible to people but we just don't don't do it so how do we how do we sort of take that first step what are the what are the things that we can do to to start to make even you know a job description more accessible um, to more people I, I think it's about <clears throat> um, describing skills and characteristics rather than experience and it takes an awful lot of hard work to um, wipe out from your consciousness you know because we, we've been packaging jobs for years and years based on on a very formulaic conventional way and I, I think for a whole host of reasons and one of which is um, actually the, the post-COVID world that we're going into um, <clears throat> is that we need to really um, nail down what characteristics we want from our workforce um, you know, do you want someone who is really agile? Do you want someone that has immense resilience? Because, you know, we, we've both identified historically that, you know, <clears throat> if you're repivoting or, or if the industry is having to really um, change very rapidly as it's going to do over the course of the next 12 months and onwards, you know, what, what sort of skills do you need in the workforce? You don't necessarily need someone that's got a degree in law or real estate management. You want someone that has certain behaviours. So I, th I think businesses have probably found out to their cost as we emerge from you know the the environment that we're that we're in that the requirement for things like agility and resilience haven't haven't been tested as part of the onboarding process, and actually it's it's a deficiency in their their composite skills now. Whereas if you think about it now, going in on a, you know, the, the day one, that suddenly opens up um, a whole talent pool that you wouldn't necessarily have had. Um, and and it's, I think that's the key to how this is just going to shift a bit. Um, but it does require quite a lot of effort and hard work and, and I, thinking. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I think it's so important, that idea of resilience actually and the you know that should be number one on a um you know a characteristic that you should look out for in any any job role in any any time someone who can can take it can yeah. can make it can work hard and and you know and and can flex can, yeah yeah we're going into an environment where you, where we really are going to have to flex and move really quickly and be creative and reroute you know whether it's it's just going to be a, a prerequisite, I think, to success. And you know that this that you know learning learning agility is the number one prediction of success. It's not what degree you've got. You, know. well, you, do, you don't learn resilience <laughs> at university or agility at university, do you? I certainly didn't. No, I mean I, th I suspect the generation coming through might be learning more resilience at university because, because they're having to make it up as they go along. I, I think there's also another bit within real estate that we should look at, um, which is well, I, I don't know if it's different from other sectors, but I don't think it's something that we've really optimised. And if you, there's there's a, a really interesting um, thought process around. Um, where promotions happen in businesses and 
even within different departments and businesses, you can have um, different socioeconomic imbalances. And, and I've seen it in, in with clients that I've worked for, you know, it's um, and and those um, uh, areas of or departments um, where they have a greater, you know, that they have higher educational attainment in that division. It suddenly means that the odds are stacked against employees that are in another part of the business. And um, having this, this sort of stratification around class, even within firms, even within departments creates those divisions. And so I think it's important that businesses don't only look in those higher status departments for the um, future senior leadership. And when you stack on top of that, the fact that in real estate, we have unusually a lot of, well, quite a few vertically integrated businesses. You know, you've got big property management arms, you've got construction arms that will sit within a larger corporate where you've also got tax and development and all the other stuff, strategy. And instinct would tell you that you're less likely to go looking in some of those departments for your future talent and your future leadership teams and others. Um, you know, and again, if you look at where, you know, some of our senior leaders have come from now, they, they have historically been in strategy or finance or that type of thing. Mm. So I think there's a real opportunity to look in parts of organisations that have not really been mined for future talent, because also they might also be those departments where you don't have the high level of educational achievement to get in there. And, and that's how you start. It's, it's kind of it's like an internal levelling up, if you think about it in, in that way. Um, and I think that's a big advantage we have, which we haven't really tapped into yet. And, and that, again, is going back to your um, your wish that people focus on skills, not on attainments or qualifi qualifications. And if you look at what people are capable of doing, um, no matter what department they're in, and then you find your your resilient leaders, don't you? And and that is it is just a little a mind switch, isn't it? That needs to yeah. needs yeah. to happen. Yeah. And then I th I think you know again on, on one hand it's very different from other characteristics of inclusion and diversity, but in other ways it's it's actually very similar. You can approach this use the same methodology that you would use if you were just you know trying to rebalance race or gender or LGBTQ plus. You know the, it there is a fundamental issue around measurement of this type of thing and again I think that's why a lot of organizations and individuals have backed off from this in terms of tackling it head-on because they just don't know where to start in terms of measurement um, and and there are some really good resources you know actually the government has got a really um, nice set of metrics around measuring um, you know the sort of social backgrounds of individuals you know there's there's lots of um, organizations and charities that d do provide that that measurement and that data um, you know so I think that's something that again once you get over the awkwardness of it which is such an English awkwardness isn't it about you know having to talk to someone about where they came from and what school they went to you know it's you know it's, it just creates so much 
stigma mm. get over that and then st- and start looking at the data and the measurement and also you know it's, it's a cultural point you know I think where where individuals and employees have pride in the organization they work for and, and they believe what the company stands for then they'll be more forthcoming with their personal data which enables us all to make progress so I think that that's one thing about how do we really start focusing on this on shifting the dial but I, th- I think the other thing is is um you know I was reading somewhere that um, a bit of research that was looking at um, inclusion in the US um, in their top 50 DNI exemplar employers. There was only one company that had a, um, a network for social nobility, hmm. and that was Uber. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I think you know it's it's using the same methodology that we've got, but but making it bespoke to the challenges we have around that. Yeah. And I think that that comes back to that, the language and the story as as well, doesn't it? Because collecting the data is all very well, but you've got to tell people why, why you're doing doing that. Because, you know, if I if I saw that come up on a, you know, a job interview or anything to do and people asking me, well, you know, where, where'd you come from? Where did you grow up? You know, Mm. and what school did you go to? I think, well, why do they what does that matter why do they need to to know so I think it's yeah. it's really important that the businesses are able to explain why they're asking questions and what what they want to do about about it I, I completely agree I mean it's it's one of the biggest challenges around capturing this data <clears throat> is the communication strategy that happens ahead of the data collection exercise is probably more important than the data collection exercise itself um, because you're absolutely right you know the people will not share that level of, of personal sensitive data if they feel they're going to be judged on it and often um, as, as a practical tip I think it's it's a good idea for it to be a trusted independent third party to collect that data and then to feed back to the organization until you reach that stage where there's sufficient trust in sharing uh, particularly with these really large organizations you, you kind of feel that someone somewhere you know, sort of maybe making some judgment again about your social class it's going to be held against you or you know I don't the equivalent issue but yeah it's it's critical Fantastic. So a couple more things I want to talk to you about on this before before we wrap up. One being role models. You know, the the image of this industry is that um, it is, you know, a bit posh um, and, you know, from 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 money. Um, it's 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 not really, is it? There are bits of it that are. But are there are there role models in the industry that um people from every background can can look up to we hear a lot of rags to riches stories mm. um i think throughout throughout real estate but um i don't know if there's really uh, for want of a better word word a, a kind of normal uh, i um air quoted there i don't know why on a podcast but <laughs> no, <laughs> you know a normal um role model in the industry do we need that yeah absolutely I mean, we, we, but, and again, it's, it's not just, um, it's not just the normal state school, uh, or, or, you know, leaving school at 16, you know, it's, it's, 
you always need role models that in some way you can relate to and feel that you know there's something in them that you would like to to emulate and of course i think it's really important um that you know those that are in senior leadership positions are open about you know if they've had that type of background and they have succeeded yeah it's like all of these things it's really important to share um we need normality generally though we, we you know it's you know I, I think there's also an issue when i look back when i was a a lawyer and, and there were very very few senior female partners um but even those who were successful they weren't necessarily normal you know they, they had sacrificed so much or they compromised so much to get to the top that they had morphed into something else it was not you know it might be a technical role model or a status role model but as as someone that was um an authentic role model it, it was always a bit lacking and so i, I do think that you know, real estate is much more progressive than that in terms of, you know, the characters that we've got that, um, you know, sit in that space. But yeah, absolutely. You know, and again, that's what that's what I said in that article. You know, we have been a bit thin on the ground. And if we haven't been thin on the ground, people have been very reticent about saying this is my background. This is where I came from. Um, you know, so absolutely. This is a time to to shout out and it's also that putting putting that stuff back in it's 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 joining each end of the the career life cycle that we've got you know so we you know this issue around our boards and our chairs and their background you know and this this certain trust bit of research that's saying you know 34 percent of chairs come from private schools as opposed to seven percent of the general population um it's it's kind of compounding the problem mm -hmm. and then at the other end where you've got the the scarring that we're talking about that's going to be you know coming out of the the pandemic and the digital poverty and the financial hardship we're, we're being bookended by issues and so it's how do we focus on both ends and also make sure that you know those that are in the managerial positions or those that are in the middle actually do recognize how important it is to um, not replicate in your own mold and to um, be aware even if it involves discomfort it's it, i mean it's a really interesting dynamic that we've got at the moment i think and and hopefully, you know, this this almost a year now of um, this uh, situation that we've been in really has made people more human, really has um, uh, particularly leaders, I think, and made mm -hmm. them um, sort of more more vulnerable and more um, empathetic and that that the, ch the change will will come and we've you know we've all had an opportunity to look into each other's worlds in a in a way that we never would would have without um you know this entire switch to to digital um communication so hopefully there's a at least a nudge in the right direction yeah i i, I think that is such a good point you know the this change i was thinking about this actually in terms of um some of the issues that happened around Black Lives Matter and how that triggered a, res a different response from CEOs and senior leaders, because it, it, for me it was that um, it was that apex around leaders recognising 
that silence wasn't an option and they actually had to have an opinion and they had to state it publicly. And that was probably a really big pivotal moment of discomfort for leaders of, of, of organisations because before that they would prefer to sit on the sidelines for fear of upsetting stakeholders or shareholders or what have you. I think one of the consequences of that um, apex was a recognition that the whole approach to communication, you know, being more informal, being more frequent, using different channels of communication, um, not being in the corner office, uh, all of that started to become an embedded way of, of, of um, engaging with, with your people. And those leaders that did that saw the benefits of it. So I agree. I mean, I, I think it's a combination of factors. I think it was the online world. I think it was some of, uh, you know, sort of world events. But I think the outcome for those that pivoted quickly around communication definitely will we'll see a positive outcome on that. And it, hopefully that will stick. Yeah. I think yeah. it will stick. I hope so. I'm going to be optimistic yes. about stickiness. Um, <laughs> so um, two, two more points before we round up. One being around, so we did a piece right at the beginning of the year where we spoke to all of our rising stars over the last five years and, and future leaders about what they their sort of vision for the future of real estate and who they thought would be the most important people for you to have in your um in your contacts but who was going to really be leading in in real estate and there were overwhelmingly sort of two sets of uh, of people one was um data analysts or data mm -hmm. scientists yeah. the other was uh, anyone who knows anything about um the environment and how we can um save this wonderful planet of ours and I just wonder if that sort of shift away from the traditional um, lead, quote unquote, leaders in, in real estate, the people that you'd really want to have in your contact book, is going to enable us to fish from a from a bigger pond and and really um, tackle this social mobility issue that we have. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's absolutely spot on. Um, I think that one of the, you know, we were talking about being in very narrow tram lines is because for a long, long time, we have only recruited certain, um, you know, certain in individuals, certain qualifications. And when you look at the future and you look how much we are going to be driven by ESG agenda and um, coding and data analytics, there's so much opportunity to think creatively in terms of where we bring people in from, um, and it's it's it is it is an opportunity. You know, we should grab that opportunity because the other thing is, it's like all of these things, we're not the only sector that's going to need that. <laughs> you know, that that those people are going to be in very very high demand, and that sort of comes back to the point. Um, that we were talking about just before we started the podcast around how do you make real estate more attractive? You know, because, you know, it's not just about <clears throat> us fishing from the wrong pool sometimes. It's about how do we set out our stall to make sure that we are attracting the best talent because all the other sectors are going to be doing the same thing. You know, so it's two sides of the same coin, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and so to round us off then, who, whose responsibility is it that we fish from the right pool, we make sure that there's the right fish in the pool, that we're attracting fish to it, that they're jumping from other pools into our, our pool. And, you know, how who needs to put their hand up and say, OK, this I'm going to lead on this and I'm going to make everyone follow? That's a really hard question. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's no one individual's responsibility, is it? It's no one leader's responsibility. It's we, we have... Um, it's not your responsibility either. <laughs> Thanks. Phew. Um, I or think, yours. No, 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 no. I, I, I think it's it's there's a collective responsibility. So what what can all the organisations, these industry organisations that that we know are are doing a really good job out there, um, you know, said so like to change the face of property, pathways to property. Um, you know, there's some really good. Um, sort of pan-industry initiatives that everyone can subscribe to and those are really good things then I think there's the individual's responsibility at senior leadership level I do think it's responsibility of boards to really really look at this I'm a big believer in board accountability and board responsibility um, so you know from a non-exec position I think it's a really critical thing that that you should be constructively challenging and supporting um, and, you know, I think there's a really big bit around reaching out to the schools, reaching out to the universities, um, you know, doing our bit to close the gap around digital poverty. I think that's, you know, that's a really important aspect. And then it, it's it's down to all the people that are listening to this that are thinking, well, if I've got a recruitment target this year, I'm going to think differently about it. I'm going to do it in a different way. I'm going to have the conversation with the people director or the HR director to think about, are we really using the right criteria to make this appointment? And it's, what can I be doing to just slightly shift that dial? I like that. Let's put, let's put that out then to everyone who is listening, you know, go think differently, go looking just you know go out and look for different talent from different places and you know work a bit harder at it if everyone works just a little bit harder we'll we'll shift in the right direction won't we and um and yeah if if one person does it and then another person does it we'll we'll get there it may be slow but um progress not perfection exactly and it and it's slow is okay but it does need to be steady and it does need to continue to move in the right direction definitely absolutely jane as always thank you so much i'm looking forward to the next next time we have a a good conversation like this but for now thank you so much for joining us on the eg property podcast thank you for joining us for this episode of the eg property podcast we hope you found the content insightful and helpful If you'd like more of the same and to keep up with all the latest news, views, analysis and research that the EG Group has to provide, be sure to sign up to all of our property podcasts and subscribe to Radius Data Exchange for unlimited access to all of our content and comprehensive commercial real estate data.